welcome to the Fist Bumps the Zelda episode of Slate Money, your guide to the business and finance news of the week. I'm Felix Salmon of Axios. I'm here with Emily Peck of Fundrise. Hello. I'm here with Stacey Marie Ishmael of Bloomberg. Hello. And Stacey Marie, this is basically your episode, so pick it up and run with it. Who is your special guest this week? It is my absolute pleasure to introduce Gene Park of the Washington Post. Hey guys, happy to be here. Stacey, thanks, thank you so much for inviting me. Gene, we know who your employer is, because Stacey just told us, but what is the single subject to which we are going to devote this entire episode? It's my beat, video games. <laughs> Stacey's excited about this. I'm excited about this. We are going to learn about video games, video gaming platforms, video gaming economics. We're going to learn about the metaverse. We're going to talk about NFTs. We're going to talk about community. We're going to talk about social this and that. We're going to talk about how many people are playing video games in China. We are going to span the world. We are going to win all manner of gold coins while doing so. It's all coming up on Slate money. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gene, welcome. I feel like we have a whole bunch of questions to ask and answers to receive on the subject of, of video games. But for you, at least, most of your games are played on, on a PC rather than on any kind of special... So there are three consoles, three major console manufacturers. There's Nintendo, which we've all known and loved for a long time. Sony entered the market in the 90s. And then Xbox just celebrated their 20th anniversary in the market just this week as well. So there's Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft releasing their own console platforms. And a lot of people play games on their PC and just even millions more play on the, on mobile. Uh, really, I think globally, the mobile market is probably the biggest market out there. And Roblox and Minecraft, again, like I know nothing about video games, but in my mind, they're sort of kids' games. They're sort of grown-up games like what what's the what are the games that like a gen x would be playing that, that that's a great question because i am on the cusp of gen x as i mentioned earlier i am 40 so i am on the elder millennial zennial borderline so the games i will be playing are like zelda and mario and uh, all the classics right and uh, stacy's getting you, excited you, about this she's doing a little fist pump at the at the, at the mention of zelda yeah, yeah, that, that, these are going to be the these, these are soon to become the boomer games, right? But <laughs> you, I think you're really correct in kind of identifying that Minecraft and Roblox are children's games, and even for people as young as myself, who's only just turned forty, I think there's a real generational gap between 
the way I might look at games and the way my younger fellow gamers would look at games too. Minecraft and Roblox are a different mindset altogether than the games I grew up with. So even for me, I ha- there, there's a disconnect between myself and people who play Minecraft and people who play Roblox. My reporting has focused a lot on Fortnite because Fortnite is a game I understand. Part of the reason why I haven't really uh, covered much of Roblox and Roblox knows this is because I'm not that familiar with Roblox. I didn't grow up with it and it appears to be working in a d- different design language and a creativity language that, that it, that's something that I'm not even familiar with. So it's a little bit like growing up Led Zeppelin or punk rock and then, and then listening to thrash metal or al- alternative rock in the 90s. I think there's a real a generational difference. This between, is between quite the, possibly the first time ever that Minecraft has been compared to thrash metal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's what Slate Money is here for. Gene, one thing I wanted to ask, given that perspective that you do have, is like, for me, Fortnite is like a game that our generation understands with elements of Roblox and Minecraft mm-hmm. of it, but it's not like fully in that way. And the way that I think about the difference is the games that I grew up playing told me what to do, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? They were like, here's your world. Here's the rules of the world. Here's the characters. You have a certain limited amount of customization. You can do, you know, you can, maybe you can hack them, you can mod them, whatever. But largely speaking, they were designed. And the thing I had control over was my reactions to a set series mm. of choices, and yes, with, exactly. With Roblox and Minecraft, though, they're like, here's your universe, invent it, goodbye. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is a little bit stressful. <laughs> it's just... It's very stressful, and it's not something that I do to enjoy things, right? But I know that the, the many young children uh, grow up, and, and they love that. They love being able to, to create their own rules. So, you know, I've been to therapy about this, about why I play video games. <laughs> and uh, a lot of it is uh, really exactly uh, the, what you just said. It, it's, it, it's that the world is chaotic and, and there are rules established here in this world that I may not understand and I may not ever be able to, to, to use and, and surpass and succeed on my own. But in a video game world, there are rules that I can understand and I can I can leverage my understanding of those rules to, to, to have some 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 feeling of success or reward. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really love about the games I grew up playing. The games that, that kids are growing up playing now are, are exactly what you just said. You, you can have your own rules, but there are other rules being set in place. You can create your own rules. And that is really where the metaverse conversation starts coming in. Yeah. This generational gap between people who are essentially content sponges like myself and people who are creatives, people who want to create content, people who want to host content, and people who basically want to express themselves digitally in, in 3D space. I see this also. I see what you're talking about, Gene, in, in my kids who play Minecraft mostly. They didn't really take to the other one. Fortnite. 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 Yeah, they didn't take yeah, to Fortnite. Fortnite does involve love... killing people more than yeah, I don't know. They're not it involves involve... <laughs> guns, so it's a little bit more of a PG-13 uh, audience, yeah. But what I've noticed also with Minecraft, in addition to, to it being very open-ended, and they really like that, and the few times that I've been played, they're like, you just have to build stuff. And I'm like, but but what? I need more hand-holding, I guess. But what I've noticed about the Minecraft playing is it's extremely social, and I'm not sure how that compares to games that you guys grew up with. I mean, I remember sitting around playing Nintendo or whatever with my friends in real life, but what they're doing socially with games is so much bigger. There's like Discord threads, there's Twitch, there's like a whole other world. And I guess this also leads us to the metaverse. There's a whole world online where people are playing together. And that seems really different and interesting. 
It's very different. Again, Zelda is a very much solo experience. And I think that's where the stereotype of like the lonely gamer came from, because a lot of these games are often solo experiences. But since the, the late 90s and early 2000s, there's been a real shift in terms of multiplayer where online communities are forming, mm-hmm. online friendships are forming, and the, 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 their own online languages are forming too. Uh, gamers, by and large, are, are helping, have helped to determine how the internet speaks, mostly because the, we have to be online to find other like-minded gamers. Sometimes we wanna, we're looking for other games. So these online communities would form just naturally, uh, just, just based on our own interests, and we go hunting for them i've been playing a, a game of backgammon with a friend of mine via email for about 25 years and we just send our moves back and forth via the play by email server obviously we're not playing the game for the sake of playing the game we're playing the game for the the social connection because every time you send a move you you send a message and there's a long conversation going back and forth right and that's lovely and so i and so I guess my my question is, number one, is that a video game? But number two, more to the point, when it comes to things like Fortnite, is the game and just the kind of excuse which gets a whole bunch of friends in the same place at the same time so they can talk to each other and interact, does that mean that the social aspect actually becomes more important than the game itself to the point at which, you know, you can have a concert in Fortnite and play no game at all and 12 million people turn up? Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I do think that that, that playing backgammon uh, email back and forth does count as gaming. If you play <laughs> games, you're a gamer. That's that. That's pretty that's much the it. Rule. Um, the only rule. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's it. You know, the, the, one one of the smartest things, maybe one of the only smartest things Andrew Yang has said that I've heard from him is that human history has a long history and relationship with games. You know, um, we 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 call it the Olympic Games for a reason. You know, it's still it's still it's still games. You know, it's still competition and it's still uh, uh, risk and reward. In terms of the social aspect, I do think that it's really become uh, it's really become the, the core the, the core draw of a lot of these games. For many years, Fortnite has kind of replaced the the the, the Friday night poker night um, in terms of uh, the, the guys gathering around and just talking about stuff. Um, I know uh, VC firms that often just meet in Fortnite and they just talk about their investments. Well, this idea of <laughs> game as space for other things is where that line between certain kinds of games and like the metaverse gets a little bit blurry, right? Because the, like the exactly. idea is like it's it's a venue in which you can gather. Um, I want to go back to something that you said earlier, Gene, about the social element of games. So I. I wasn't like super into World of Warcraft, but I was aggressively into Sims. And the social element, Sims is a game in which, not SimCity or like Roller Coaster, this is the one in which you control people. There's a lot of like, I spent a lot of time like figuring out very creative ways to drown Sims in pools and set them on fire and all things I too will work out with a therapist. But <laughs> <laughs> but the social element of Sims like wasn't baked into the game itself. Like at the p- time that I was playing, my 14.4 modem could not handle, you know, doing this in, in contact with other people. But it came in like with the forums, like you would go online, you would find people who specialized in designing. Like there was like, you could get the Jennifer Lopez famous green dress for your sim. You could download houses that other people had designed. You could trade tips and tricks, like people who had figured out how to hack game would exchange those things with you. And so for me, my social gaming experience was like asynchronous in a really different way from the experience of you're playing with other people at the same time and talking to them. And that that's an element of gaming right now that I find 
I find it fascinating because, you know, the idea of you're operating in concert and you're talking to them about other stuff while you're playing, which is really different from you're hanging out in a game world and talking about work. This is like you're coordinating your Grand Theft Auto thievery strategy <laughs> um, over live audio chat. And then you're like, and how's everybody else doing at the same time? Um and I find that the collision of real life and video games is like not something I actually enjoy. Like I want my, when I am playing a game, it to be entirely in the game context versus like the blurring of those lines socially for me. I'm personally with you. I don't enjoy playing a ton of multiplayer games because I, I enjoyed my own mental space. Uh, where I'm, for me, playing a video game is like reading a book. Like, like this is my space. This is this is where I get to to consume the content. This is where I got to think about certain things. So for me, it it, it it's it's become a, a little bit uh, different for me. And again, that's why it goes back to how Minecraft and Roblox are such different experiences because not only do I have to create things but I have, I have to, to let talk other, to people other people see them and like, I have oh. to talk to other people I have to try to let other people see it I have to invite them into my world and let, let, let and, and and invite that criticism let them know what I what I think we have a back and forth conversation about that content it's a very very different mentality from when I grew up than, than what kids are growing up today which is fueling the Minecraft Roblox and as well as Fortnite just like you said Fortnite is a shooter game but it, it definitely has elements of create cre- creativity because people are able to uh, Time Magazine just a couple months ago, uh, created the, Was- the, 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 the Washington, D.C. National Mall, and they had a Martin Luther King Jr. event and tried to recreate the I Have a Dream event within Fortnite. And Fortnite provides those tools uh, for cre- creativity, and, and, and young black folks were able to make that, too. So there were there, there's a lot of uh, uh, things in there where like I might not be able to, to participate in the creativity part of it. But I do enjoy uh, consuming other people's contents. I do enjoy visiting other people's worlds. I recently started playing Roblox because I really loved the the recent show Squid Game, and I was I watched when I watched Squid Game, I was like, that'd be an interesting video game to play. And of course, within a day or two, uh, uh, ch- children made Squid Game versions of video game versions of Squid Game within Roblox, and I was able to play that, and it was a lot of fun. And th- th- that's how that's how explosive this creativity can get. It just moves extremely extremely fast. Mm-hmm. Which which raises all manner of like IP issues, I'm sure, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Absolutely. If you wanna... Absolutely, and, and yep. that's a big question on the metaverse. Uh, uh, how can interoperability and all of this stuff happen when IP issues, licensing issues, uh, the, the the laws today uh, just have uh, can barely keep up with the internet of today? Um, so that's really the, the 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 one of the biggest questions of the viability of whether a metaverse can even happen or whether it's even feasible, considering how splintered the internet is is already right now. Can we define, we've said metaverse a thousand times already in the past 22 no, And the minutes. answer is no, Emily, we cannot. <laughs> but let's, let's talk about it. Let's get into it. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Because when I was reading the, the links that Stacey shared with us to prepare for today, I started really thinking, oh, okay, well, the metaverse exists already because the Roblox CEO says they meet in the metaverse, they meet on Roblox. They have their business meetings there. The VCs are meeting in the metaverse, apparently, according to Gene. Like, people are playing in the metaverse. They're going to concerts. I mean, is if it's the metaverse, they're going to concerts and video games. So Facebook made an announcement, but it seems like this stuff already exists. So I don't quite understand what's going on. And, and I yeah, have exactly. a question. For you. My, my immediate question for you is, like, we are right now meeting in a web browser where we can see each other's yes. videos and we're, li- we're talking to each other. If I just 
swapped myself out for something which looked like a Lego minifig, would we then be in the metaverse? It's metaverse-like if, uh, if for example, uh, your avatar that you swap out is tra- transferable into another type of, of, of program, right? For example, if we were living in a true metaverse today, then you, Felix, would, uh, would appear as you are here in the Zoom call, uh, as you would in Roblox, as you would in Fortnite, as you would in some theoretical Nintendo Zelda metaverse as well. So that's what uh, the metaverse would be. But there are metaverse aspects already existing today. It's just really just a, a different version of the internet. So if I just took my my Kirby picture that I use on Twitter and I use it here in in the call, then that is kind of like a metaverse. That that's a persistent image that I, that I'm hold, holding throughout the internet. Uh, so that's one thing. I recently wrote an article about how Zuckerberg's meta ambitions uh, really just reiterate what video games have already been doing yes, today. Yes, absolutely. And so that's why a lot of these metaverse conversations are happening because of the attention mm. that Facebook brings from the media and from the, and from the mainstream audience and, and Zuckerberg himself because he has legions of followers as well, right? Um, so for many people, this was their introduction to the metaverse. But uh, the metaverse has already been happening and, and or has already been tried to be built uh, even since the early 2000s. Second Life. With the video game Second Life uh, created by Philip Rosedale. Um, and he has been able to to kind of see the evolution of Second Life. Uh, for people who don't know, the Second Life is essentially a games like The Sims, except that you get to live another life. So there are still people. There was a wonderful piece in the Atlantic a couple years ago where uh, they profiled people who are still living fruitful lives, married lives, uh, selling real estate uh, uh, in Second Life. It's it's a little bit of a, a lonelier uh, uh, place, but there are still there's still communities there. Uh, still, still trucking along. It's still, still, uh, the economic engine is still going. You know? Yeah, I mean, Second Life had a bank run. Uh, sorry, a, a currency crisis once. <laughs> yeah, the Linden bucks. That, that was exactly. the, oh yeah. Yeah, and there was there was also around the same time there was this big expose of these sort of gaming farms in China where these kids would be plonked down in front of the c- computers to mu- to play games and earn like ah, but we have that now. And we have that now. Well, play and, to earn. And, you know, virtual land in Decentraland or whatever is worth lots of money. And this sort of parallel economy, which is connected to our favorite subject of, you know, crypto, seems to slowly be taking off. We have this bizarre game that does not exist yet called Loot being worth however many gazillions of dollars because the cards you play with are trading hands for vast amounts of ETH each. On the one hand, you can see how this is is evolving and you can see how this is growing. But on the other hand, Facebook is a trillion dollar company, you know, and all of these other things just look so tiny in comparison to the sheer awesome magnitude of Facebook, is it realistic to suppose that the growth of the metaverse, economically speaking, is going to be so enormous that it will dominate the economics of Meta, the company that Facebook has renamed itself to become? The thing about Facebook is that it strikes me very similar in tone to the way Google and Amazon uh, try to enter the video game market in terms of, you know, they know that there's so much money in video games. They know that video games are are, are becoming the center of, of pop culture and entertainment today, and they need to be part of that. 
And Amazon quickly found out that making a video game is hard. very, very expensive and, and very, very hard. You know, I come from a, a, a longtime newspaper background, and it really sounds similar to me whenever I heard newspapers say, okay, we need to do video. Get, get, give this reporter a camera and then go out there and then make some video. And then you realize that, wow, we really can't do what KWX, <laughs> whatever down the street can do because this stuff costs millions of dollars that, that, that requires decades of talent, lots of production and a completely different mindset to create that, than, than what, that what we've been doing. So for me, it, it kind of smells a little bit of like, like they think that they can do it and then they enter the market and they realize they, they couldn't. Google Stadia has had a hard, hard time taking off the ground. Um, I mentioned earlier that Sony, Microsoft and Nintendo are the three platform holders, but I completely forgot that Google has its own console platform out with Stadia. But it's really it, I mean, it Apple really has one taken too, right? Well, Apple, Apple has one too. Yeah, Apple has multiple sources of video game revenue, right? They they are the frame they like to say is like they're the biggest video game company in the world in terms of active users playing on mobile, and then they are a publisher of video games through Apple Arcade, but they also just make tons of revenue from their share of in-game transactions for games that are bought and played on the App Store. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. So, Stacey, can you give us like some orders of magnitude here? Because this is the thing I'm struggling with. It's It, it was obvious to me to see why a newspaper would want to be a video company because there's just so much more money in video than there is in newspaper. It's less obvious to me why Facebook would want to be a video game company because for all that there are large and profitable video game companies, none of them are even a tenth of the size of Facebook. So explain some of the economics here. Like how big is big in in the video game world? People spent more than $40 billion on games on the App Store in 2020. And Apple made some amount of that as a result of the, you know, 15 to 30% transaction fee or, you know, in-game, in-app transaction fee that they will that they will take. And then you add on top of that Apple's own services revenue from things like Apple Arcade and whatever those, those bundles might be. But so one, it's just like a high margin money minting machine. If you are not yourself, to Gene's point, like the person having to make the video game, which is like hard and very expensive. But the other thing is that it, it, it creates stickiness in the ecosystem, right? Like when somebody gets really attached to a platform or a console, hardcore gamers, which basically means people who are willing to spend unreasonable amounts of money <laughs> on different kinds of things, might have multiple platforms they play on. Like I personally am primarily a mobile gamer, but I also have a Switch and I played on PC and Mac. Um, 
And in my household, there's also a PlayStation for completeness. But that's not the norm. The new one, <laughs> Stacey? Do you have the new PlayStation? <laughs> yes, I did. I was one of those people who stayed up for very awesome. many hours lucky, at a time lucky. and hit refresh tens of thousands of times and got a PS5. Wow. And was it worth it? Oh, 100%. Um, but, the, but most people are like, I play on Xbox or I play on PlayStation or I am a mobile gamer on iOS or I'm a mobile gamer on Android. And so it's very much, if you want to be big and stay big and you have games as part of your ecosystem strategy, like that's a, like really, really helpful for that loyalty perspective. I think the loyalty and stickiness is is really important. Uh, there's so much brand loyalty right now. That's why the, the, the within the the gaming community, there's all these console wars, uh, 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 ballyhoo because all the time. people are always people are always raising the flag. PlayStation is the best. Xbox is the is the best. But no one is out there saying Facebook is the best. You know, <laughs> uh, that, that no, you know that they may uh, admire Zuckerberg as as an icon and and as, as a visionary. But no one is really out there, quote unquote, standing in Facebook, you know, that there's no Facebook fans out there. Although, although I will say the only video games I ever see on TikTok is the Beat Saber, which is owned by Facebook. That's true. But but they had to buy it, though, you know, and, and <laughs> that, 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 that's one that's one thing that, that that's been Facebook's growth strategy, even in the social space for, for the last several years. Right. They just buy out competitors. They buy out ideas. Uh, they haven't really been an engine an engine of ideas. Uh, they they've just been uh, buying the stuff up, and it almost feels like Facebook has is kind of trying that with with their Oculus uh, acquisition. So yeah, and also VR is uh, is a very very small slice of the video game business too. Um, the the the, v, the VR industry has been struggling struggling to to get any kind of uh, of 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 leverage and 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 market share, but it just hasn't happened. Did a video game help Facebook initially get scale? Like, did Farmville was Farmville Foundation ah, also Facebook's growth, and question. are they trying to do something like that again? I here? do think Farmville that, that, that did help in terms of the stickiness and the, and the loop in terms of bringing bringing people back. Uh, Facebook gaming, to their credit, has has had some interesting experience where they're trying to continue to do uh, cloud gaming with Farmville, very simple game concepts. Uh, Google messed up by trying to uh, offer AAA. Uh, blockbuster expensive uh, uh, experiences through the cloud, which is very, very hard to do. Whereas Facebook is is more leaning on to, towards the lifestyle, casual games and, and with Facebook gaming. So absolutely, they, they saw Farmville and, and they saw something and they said, okay, they're, they're, there's a loop here that, that people are coming back to. Uh, people enjoy using the app because of Farmville. Well, That's to- how I feel about Spelling Bee and the New York Times. Well, right. So like... <laughs> For, exactly. for people who exactly. missed the whole time when everyone was playing Farmville, so like the non-Gen X elder millennials listening to us, the whole notion of what Farmville did was like in order to unlock stuff, you had to get your friends to play Farmville, right? And it was just this like very powerful mechanism of, hey, you want more stuff, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> fruits, vegetables, or you, you want to be able to do something, get your friends to do something else. And that social d- dynamic is incredibly powerful and prevalent in a lot of these games right now, right? You're, you're, and that's, a, I think, also one of the reasons why I am a particularly anti-social gamer. It's because I don't want to use my personal social capital to unlock an in-game experience. It feels really mercenary to me. Whereas for a lot of other folks, they're like, no, this, like, you know, here's my thing, like, join my league, join my team, like, sign up, you know, use my tag. Um, but that's just not how, like, that's not the experience of games that I had. Remember at the beginning of Uber when everybody oh, had to God, share yeah. their Uber codes, yeah. remember? Uh, it's like, hey, th- th- use my Uber code and you get 15% off your first five rides or whatever. So it's it, it's a generational uh, tactic, mm-hmm. you know? 
I mean, wasn't that also the, that may or may not be true, but that's the received origin story for Facebook, right? As it started as this, as Face Smash, this game that people would play in the Harvard dorm room, ranking the hotness of various, you know, college girls at Harvard. The contemporary version of that that I see very much on on Twitter is the board apes and the, you know, the the NFT world where people are, you know, putting their crypto punk as their Twitter avatar and like using using their what all of the social clout that they have to try and push the that little like NFT system that they've bought into. And I'm interested to know whether you think that crypto punks, you know, rocks, penguins, apes, you know, are games. I wouldn't call them games, uh, but I will call them natural evolutions of what the internet has bec- has always been. Uh, baked into the internet is this idea that, it, that each of us have our own identity, yes, our own ISP, exactly. our own <laughs> our own ISP numbers, our own email address, my ICQ, which doc- I still know by heart to this exactly. day. Exactly, <laughs> our our own I- ICQ number, our AOL, AOL name. That that has always been part of uh, 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 that. That has always been central to the internet experience and the allure of the internet experience, to be able to identify yourself and, and to be able to, to create this new identity for, for yourself. And that's that's kind of why, I'm not I'm certainly not an evangelist of the metaverse, but that's why I do think that the metaverse do, or some sh- shape of it would it is inevitable because it only just seems natural for the for for the internet to evolve in in, in that case. And I do see cryptocurrency and NFT uh, as much as I don't understand either. So please don't ask me too, too, too many deep detailed questions about either one of them. Uh, I do uh, philosophically, I do see them as well in line with where the internet has always wanted to go. Yeah, I, I can't agree enough with the idea of the centrality of a fixed or an uh, like an identity in the metaverse and how closely that's related both to internet culture and to games right like sometimes the biggest decision one of the biggest decisions i've had to make in the course of my like gaming career is like i decided to retire one of my gamer names <laughs> some years ago that i had like had for years and years and this was like how i was always known in certain forums and i was like that that's time to go to jean's earlier point about you know if we all had wild avatars right now that would move from like zoom to games to whatever like that's really appealing to different kinds of folks right and it's it's appealing because you are it's a, it's a way of performing who you think you want to be that day and how you want to express that inner identity. And you see this a lot, for example, on like Twitch streams where people are fully in costume while playing a game, but they're in that same costume every time they stream because their stream persona is inseparable from, you know, like the cat ears or the elf face or whatever that thing might be. And so NFTs, especially as they show up in Twitter avatars, especially as they give people access to certain kinds of spaces and certain kinds of discords, which is basically like Slack for video games. um, I think people shouldn't underestimate how powerful that idea of being able to represent yourself in, in different spaces is to a lot of this conversation. I have a big question here, which is that the Mark Zuckerberg vision for the metaverse and a lot of what we're talking about, about like having an, having an online identity is a very broad and universal, universal vision, which applies to presumptively like everyone. And that's the vision. While video games, at least for me, have always been this world where you need 
like a certain type of sort of fast twitch response and a certain kind of like hand-eye coordination and you need to be good at video games otherwise it's just not something you do and whenever someone's given me a control and said like play this game i'm like i have literally no idea what i'm doing and i fall over and i give up and i get bored and i move away um and playing something like Fortnite, i'm sure is lots of fun and i'm sure it's social but you can't really there's a high barrier to entry to it in that if you don't have those fast switch motor skills and hand-eye coordination you're basically not even participating how do video games broaden themselves out to become genuinely inclusive when the most popular games are the ones that often have you know require a lot of these things that not everyone has Actually, uh, I'm I'm so glad that you brought this up because it, it really falls in line with what I said earlier. But first of all, some of the most popular games are Minecraft and Roblox, and they do they do not require fast hand eye coordination whatsoever. Um, it's why the little children children are able to play them because they're very very simple games to play. And then they grow out of them and move into Fortnite. And, and and they might and they might, but the thing is that a lot of these kids are, are still playing Minecraft. Uh, uh, the, the thing is is that I'm 40. I know kids who who were 15 playing Minecraft, and they're 25 and they're still playing Minecraft. They are adults that that they are older Gen Z, uh, uh, younger millennials, and now uh, out in the workforce, and they're still playing Minecraft and and, and Roblox. Um, but I'm really glad that you brought up the, the 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 question about high barrier for entry because it really brings back to me the book metaphor. Uh, I like to read games like I write like I read books. You, if you're going to read a book, you have to learn how to read. For a, a generation of gamers, playing a video game is just as natural as learning how to read. You know, and I think a, a, a lot of game companies, Nintendo first and foremost, has been really really trying to lower that barrier of entry. That's why the Wii back in the early 2000s uh, focused so much on motion control, and that's why Wii Sports uh, uh, was such a big hit in, re- in in senior centers and recreational centers across the world. Uh, because if you want to play bowling in a video game, you just roll your hand like a, like, like like you're ro- rolling a bowling ball. If you want to play tennis, you just play tennis just like that. It's instinctive human. Um, decisions. So that's why Nintendo has always been really, really trying. That's why they have games like Animal Crossing that don't have high barriers of entry because you, you know they, they want children and adults to play it. And that's something that video game companies, um, some video game companies, have been really trying to tr- trying to solve. There, there's your Call of Duties in the world that that require exactly what you say: uh, a high skill level, uh, high hand-eye coordination, and those are the games that that make billions and billions of dollars. Again. Because of that size of the audience, uh, that those are millions and millions of people who know how to read that book, basically, you know. And then as as more gamers grow up, as more gamers are are being weaned on Minecraft and Roblox, as you say, they will grow up to play Call of Duty. They will play, they will grow up to play Fortnite. They will they will grow up to play Mario. That generation continues. This is all about sort of like the war for attention, right? I mean, this is why Facebook's getting into the metaverse. Um, everyone is online now doing various things and there's just basically like a war for the consumer's attention when they're online and that's like sort of intensified and maybe ramped up since the pandemic started in a new way like people don't go to movies as much as they used to or even to plays or concerts or anything like it's all happening digitally now online and like whoever like kind of wins the war kind of walks off with the monies going forward I guess is that what's going on? 
Absolutely, that's absolutely it. That that's one hundred percent it. Uh, um, <clears throat> Fortnite uh, was able to capture the attention of the world for two thousand seventeen to two thousand nineteen. Everybody wants a, a piece of that. That's why Netflix uh, CEO said, uh, you know, HBO is not our biggest competitor. It's Fortnite because as long as people are, are playing Fortnite, they're not watching Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The original big cryptocurrency exchange where everyone used to trade Bitcoin for dollars and dollars for Bitcoin was this exchange called Mt. Gox, which Stacey will tell us what Mt. Gox stood for. No, I will not. (laughs) (laughs) It, it, It stood for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange, and it started as a place for people to buy and sell magic cards. And this connection between crypto and gaming communities is as old as crypto. And the idea that you can spend money in order to improve your chances of winning the game is as old as Magic. Magic really invented that concept, um, that they had certain cards that were worth quite a lot of money because that would help you build a certain pack that would make it make you better you know make, make, improve your chances of winning and i played magic back in the day my, my mom hated the fact that she was spending so much money just for me to get a better deck right but this to your point seems to be an incredibly unpopular thing well, in general in games right there aren't that many popular games magic notwithstanding where the more you spend the the better you can presumptively do stacy does not agree with what you just said there's also the Pokemon card game too, <laughs> right. uh, where there's just so many people. Uh, uh, there, there, you know, there, there's there, there's lines of adult men lining outside of Walmart to to, to raid the, the the Pokemon. You can only uh, now uh, buy uh, two packs <laughs> since the, <Yeah>. since the <laughs> pandemic. Um, yeah. Okay. I'll, there is th- the uh, this is complicated because when I go back to that stat about you know consumers spending forty billion dollars on games in the App Store in 2020, it wasn't mostly on buying the game. It was on buying stuff in those games, right? And so there are a couple of different concepts here. One is the one, the point that Jean made earlier around like people buy consumables. I want this outfit. I want this car. I want this gun. And that is less controversial. Where you get into 
uh, sketchier, less popular territory is the idea that the only way to progress is to either spend real money or spend hours and hours and hours doing intentionally boring tasks and like grinding things out and basically suffering in order to achieve that goal. And I think that my concern with some of the ways that, you know, blockchain-based gaming has gone is that they have really leaned into the grind (laughs) in order to advance strategy much more than the potential of like, well, okay, um, I saw somebody say that let's say you did buy a pair of Nikes. And when you buy that pair of Nikes that you wear in real life, you get an NFT of that pair of Nikes that you could theoretically transport over into the metaverse. And then your in-game character character could wear that pair of Nikes. And you could... I would buy that. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds great. (laughs) You know, so it's like there's, there's different applications, but instead what you get is you can play this game... And you can spend, you know, 12 hours hitting this rock (laughs) to try to unlock this weapon. Or you can buy this in-game currency, which costs real money, and you unlock the thing faster. And, you know, I worry a little bit about that tendency because it is wildly profitable for the companies that do this, but it's not a great gaming experience. Who's the best example of a wildly profitable company that does this? In terms of in-game transactions? Yeah, I think some of the Japanese and Chinese game developers who do a lot of um, lot of stuff around like gacha and loot loot boxes. That's really where you know how should I describe it? The most innovation in getting you to buy stuff has come from. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. But even like N- Nintendo on mobile, if you play Animal Crossing on iOS, <laughs> like like that game is designed to extract money from you. Like Nintendo has this weird strategy where their console games are like you pay $59.99 here's the world and on mobile it's like you pay $4.99 everything else is now going to cost you another $150 (laughs) like if you want to have any fun over the duration (laughs) yeah yeah and so my worry is that it's going to once again uh we're once again creating a a system of haves and have-nots you know uh uh that we are deliberately creating game systems in which it's making certain harder for certain people to do it do it unless they have the means to do so exactly so it's very so so you know the the video games are, offer an interesting window into the, what the future of the internet could look like in terms of of, of how much of this would be accepted and what kind of uh, frictions and and future controversies that we might see um but really it, it's just once again establishing a world of haves and have nots and in terms of the world um the metaverse is again like I'm not going to say global, but it's, you know, global X China, at least in conception. Um, the idea is that everyone can participate in the same thing. The games that have really, you know, done the best in terms of the early metaverse, Roblox, Fortnite, Minecraft, Minecraft, like how, tell me, tell me how they kind of, how close are they to being global? How, how, how universal are they in, in different countries and continents? Uh, Fortnite just uh, got pulled out of China, China. So, so yeah, so 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 that's over with for for, for them, uh, which is interesting. But then again, Tencent, uh, the Chinese conglomerate, has uh, ownership stake in Epic Games, so there's probably some uh, other avenue uh, that they'll be able to get. I, I'm not sure what the status of Minecraft and Roblox are uh, uh, either. But in terms of 
part of the thinking why Fortnite was so ahead of the metaverse game was because of the buy-in that so much so much of corporate America had already done. Disney, Disney slash Marvel, Netflix, uh, Ferrari, uh, all of these different companies were, were, are, were happy to, to jump on board to Fortnite because Fortnite was just simply too huge to ignore. And that was where Fortnite's strengths came from, that the fact that they were able to gather all these IP together. Uh, just tomorrow, they're going to announce Naruto, the, 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 the hit anime series. That's a huge difference in terms of like how Japanese IP like to, uh, like, like to be very much in control of, of how their licenses and characters are being used. And yet they're giving it to Fortnite, a place where, where I can have Ariana Grande uh, do a lap dance on just whoever other character uh, they please. Roblox is already basically a functioning metaverse in and of itself. If the rest of the, the, the internet just follow Roblox's suit, then we would just be living in a Roblox metaverse um, because it already functions similarly to a metaverse in and of itself. I guess the where I'm going with this is, is the question of whether the metaverse at heart is basically American. That Fortnite is American, you know, Minecraft is American, Meta is is American, and that everyone else, if they buy into the metaverse, is basically buying into an American metaverse. Or is this much more genuinely polyglot and international than that? I think it's global because Tencent has made a significant uh, 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 billions and billions long before F- uh, Facebook Meta has ever had in, in terms of investing into the metaverse. Their chat app WeChat is a huge is a huge part of that uh, strategy in which you know you can basically uh, live your whole life uh, on WeChat. You know, I remember my grandmother, uh, God rest her soul, uh, in Korea when I visited her in 2011. She was doing all of her life through Kakao Talk. Uh, she was uh, uh, teaching uh, uh, English lessons through Kakao Talk. When I was at her house, she asked me if I was hungry. And I said, yeah, I'd I like some chicken. And then just 15 minutes later, chicken came to the door. She was ordering food in 2011 through her app long before any Americans did too. So really, I, I think in terms of, of metaverse uh, adaption, I think Asia is going to be huge uh, in, ter- in terms of, of doing that. And is that is that going to be the thing that like unifies the two internets? Like, if we have this huge gaping gulf between the the, the Chinese internet and the American internet right now, is the metaverse going to be able to bridge that gap? That's a huge question. That's a huge question. That's why China China is making so much so much investments to, into the West too. That's why that's why Tencent is making so much investments into into Hollywood studios and Hollywood brands because they're, they're trying to get a foothold here too, and and trying to see where they can start establishing this thing too. Can I ask a dystopian question? Bring it Ooh, on. I love those. Those are the okay. best. <laughs> we've, we've been only having a dystopian conversation. So I let's would go agree. For it. Okay. So, yeah. So is this all leading to some kind of dystopia? Like I just finished this book called The Overstory. And it's all about like how the environment's dying and the trees are dying. And one of the threads in the story is that this guy creates this like whole video game universe because he can't use his legs, but he's like a god in the universe. He makes tons of money. And then all these people start playing the video game all the time, essentially living in the world he's created as the real world and all the trees and whatnot are dying, blah, blah, blah. So as I'm like reading and thinking about Gene, you coming on and we're talking about the metaverse, I'm like, oh my God, is that what's happening here? Like our real environment is kind of dying. We've all been sent inside for this pandemic. All the things we used to do in person, we do them online. We used to meet in a room together and talk on, you know, in person. Now we do it online. Everything's moving online. Like, is this all leading to to a place of no good where we're strapped to our chairs, you know, 24 hours a day and we live only in our brains and on the internet? 
Go. I think one of the things that really scare people about the metaverse concept, uh, first of all, since Facebook and Meta has dominated the conversation, conversation so much and they're pitching VR as a, such a huge part of it, one of the fears of the metaverse, the mainstream fears of the metaverse, is that we're all going to be strapped into into VR headsets and just living in this <laughs> other world and we never see anything outside. Uh, my hope is that the metaverse won't replace everything else in the way, in the same way that the mobile internet and and the way we use our smartphones hasn't completely replaced everything else either. Sure, we're we're stuck on our phones quite a bit, you know. That that we're keeping our heads down to the point where we we have articles about neck crane and whether that that's an issue. But even during then, we would still hang out and go to bars or go to go to parties and everything like that. So I'm hoping that the consumer adoption doesn't get to the point where where we want to just live in this world forever. Uh, that's my that's my hope for it. My problem with this is is the question of how immersive it is, right? Like if I have a phone and I'm out in the world, I can still be aware of the world and interacting with the world. If I'm sitting at a bar and reading a book, I can read the book and sit in the bar at the same time. I can listen to podcasts while driving a car. You know, what I can't do is really like watch a movie while doing anything else. Like it's a very immersive thing and it needs all of my attention. And similarly, it strikes me that virtually everything in the metaverse is, is similarly immersive in a way that kind of shuts out the whole world. And that if you spend an hour in the metaverse, that's an hour you can't be doing anything else. Whereas if you spend an hour listening to a podcast, it's totally an hour you can also be doing something else. I think the use cases won't be even up to an hour. The one thing about Facebook and Meta's conversation is that there was that one bit where there was like, hey, can we have a meeting? And then let's look at the the, the, the schematics of this building, this architecture that we're having together, right? And then it really lasted for only a couple of minutes. I think that is kind of like what more would be indicative of what a future Metaverse use case would be like. If it's just more useful in the 3D space, then we would just do it there for a bit. And then we'll just log off and then continue it in our own worlds. We go back to our smartphones and, and start looking at that thing and, and, and our, our social feeds or we just start watching TV again. I am hopeful and I'm hoping that the metaverse isn't some all-encompassing thing where we just do everything. We just work there and everything like that. I think the, you know the, there are video games out there that try to do uh, metaverse applications. There's a video game old video game called Fable 3, where instead of ha- pressing start and you can go to like the options menu, they made it so you have to navigate within the 3D space to click on the options menu just to make the, the volume louder or anything like that. And people quickly realized that that was a very, very stupid use case of 3D space. So I, I, I'm hoping that like as developers continue to find upon these stupid ideas, they'll realize, okay, that's not a great idea to, u- to use in the 3D space because all the, well, you know spending a, an hour just to, to just, just to edit a file or whatever isn't going to do. Um, it needs to be quicker. It needs to be uh, relaxing. It needs to be. It needs to be convenient. But are there any video games that you play that you can do anything else at the same time as while you're playing yeah, the game? Um, oh yeah, totally. An- like Animal Crossing, which me like millions of other people was a game that I played throughout the pandemic. Like one of the reasons that I was able to play it is because it demanded very little from me. <laughs> So I could be weeding my garden, which you have to do a weirdly high amount of times. And but I could be on a phone, I could be on a conference call, I could be, you know, like on hold fighting with my bank or my insurance company or whatever those things are, because it's it's not a fast, twitchy, I'm trying to like murder somebody on the other end of the screen type of video game. And on mobile, one of the most dominant categories in mobile gaming is puzzles. 
right? And that's everything from like Sudoku to like Tetris style stuff to, you know, word games. Because again, those are the kinds of games where like you can be doing something else, but still engaging a certain part of your brain in them. Yeah, there's a whole genre called podcast games where if you're doing something and you can also listen to a podcast or watch a show at the same time too. So you're having a, a, a dual screen experience exactly. or whatever well, while you're just becoming a complete content sponge. <laughs> Uh, Are uh, people doing that Another now? way Asia might be... Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, Gina, you, like, while, while you've been talking to us, how many games have you been playing? <laughs> I, I've beaten so many. Uh, another <laughs> uh, another the way that China has been kind of ahead of this is that you know China has laws where, where you can't play games for too long. So a lot of their game experiences are deliberately created... Uh, two only lasts you about 30 minutes uh, to, to an hour. And then eventually the game will, there's just simply nothing else you can do in the game. You can stay in there forever if you like, but you're not going to accomplish anything else. So uh, the game basically tells you go outside and do something else. One of my favorite games is this wonderful game that my friend Zach Gage created for the iPhone called Pocket Run Pool. And that's designed to take like a minute, maybe, maybe like two minutes. It's like you bing, bing, and it's done. And it's a wonderful little like, breath of whatever you weren't just doing to sleep go pick it up do a thing come back yeah and and it also is something you can do while listening to a podcast 100 yeah exactly that's the beauty of games today with as opposed to when we were growing up that there are just so many different types of games for for so many different people isn't it there's never really been a time a better time right than right now than to find like a game that could work for you no matter what kind of person you are no matter what kind of experience you might you might be looking for okay i think we should have a numbers round Gene, we will end with you, but we will start with Emily. Do you have a number, Emily? I have a number. My number, Felix, is 21.5. That's the number of hours professionals are now spending in meetings per week. That is more than half the work week, people. Um, The data comes from this company called Reclaim AI, which is like an app you plug into your other calendar apps. So... We're probably talking about a subset of people that have a lot of meetings, but according to them, pre-pandemic, it was 14.2 hours a week. So that's a tremendous increase. I completely believe it because I have a job that is just, there's so many meetings. And the biggest meeting culprit of the meeting overload is the one-on-one meeting, which apparently has proliferated in the remote world because people need to talk to each other. So they schedule regular one-on-ones and then all of a sudden your whole life is just these one-on-one meetings and these regular meetings. Welcome to management, Emily. But but like (laughs) what the hell? It's a lot of meetings. And that was my own personal metaverse experience is just in the Google meet all day long in the meetings. Stacey, what's your number? 430. That is the number of hours I spent in animal crossing during the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) That's low. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Thank you. <laughs> That's actually low compared to my friend who doesn't. Who I didn't think liked Animal Crossing, but he spent seven hundred twenty hours, and I'm like, oh my god, what happened? <laughs> so yes, at the height of being of inside, um, I would an Animal Crossing for if you don't know, like operates at the speed of real time. So, you know, it takes like a day for things to change. You know, you you can't you you can hack it, but you shouldn't. And so I spent a lot of time like planting trees, <laughs> cutting the trees down, selling the, <laughs> the fruits from the trees, buying turnips. It was very soothing, but it was a lot of hours. More than you spend in meetings, though, Stacey? 
I feel like I spend 400 hours a week in meetings now. So. <laughs> um, how many of those 420 hours were spent while you were in meetings? Oh. I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to come out and do a weird one, which is $500 billion is the amount of money that we now have in just two of the big iShares bond ETFs, the aggregate bond ETF and the core total bond ETF from iShares. People, when they talk about ETFs, basically just talk about stocks. And it turns out, and people for a very, very long time thought that bond ETFs were never going to work because... Um, they, you know, bonds mature, you need to reinvest them. Everyone's like, yeah, no, you, you, you need to be like managing the yield curve and working out where you want to be invested and stuff. And, and the, the reasons why stock index funds outperform aren't, aren't going to read across the bond and in, bond index funds. I think those arguments have really comprehensively been demolished now. And people are just like, yep, if I need bonds in my portfolio, I can buy an ETF just as easy as stocks. I don't need a bond fund manager any more than I need a stock fund manager. But Gene, you get the final number. Yeah, uh, my number is uh, 720 million. That is approximately the amount of gamers in China. Uh, wow. Just recently, this last week, uh, the League of Legends World's uh, esports tournament, uh, which is basically the Super Bowl of esports, uh, uh, happened. There was a viral video where you look out and someone was filming their apartment complex and it was just the entire building in an uproar, just like like just like screaming out, out outside. I've I've never even it, it was like when Joe Biden won and I walked outside DC and then everybody was outside DC like cheering. It was exactly that. It was more of that energy than than what I saw when Joe Biden won uh, uh, last year. So that just goes to show how just gaming in, is just just the dominant culture in China and and it really just kind of I I do think that that is a glimpse of the, what the future holds. You don't, you don't think that the Chinese government will be successful in cracking down on that? The, the, the Politburo doesn't seem to be too happy about that. Yeah, no, they're, they're not. But uh, they're, regardless, they're going to keep gaming. And there's a lot of black market games uh, being out there right now anyway. So, you know, that that's also a huge market too. <laughs> okay. Well, Gene, thank you so much for joining us. This has been most illuminating. I feel like I can so much. bluff my way at least through like a... 40 second conversation about video games now. I am just so happy that we made this happen. Like Gene is one of my all time favorite writers and reporters and thinkers on like games and so many other things. So I just feel really lucky to have shared this time with you. Oh, Stacy, just one of my favorite newsroom leaders in, in the world. Uh, just long, <laughs> that was just so a love fest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Felix, Emily, I just met you guys. Whatever. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, well, we'll we'll hook up in the metaverse. We'll, you'll, you'll get exactly, to know us exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Many thanks to Shana Roth, without whom none of this would have been possible. So, thanks, Shana, and we'll be back next week with more Slate Money. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.